0: Welcome once again to the On The Whistle podcast. Today, we are blessed to have someone I did not know about. Someone that has taken huge strides in the game and has had monumental um, impacts in in players' lives. And I think it's important today we sit down and let you, the supporters, know about Mr. Farouk Khan. Good morning, coach. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. I hope you are too. Well, listen, coach, I'll tell you something. It's cold, yeah.
1: <laughs> I can see. I can see you dressed warm when you're inside. But
0: eh? the heating on it is raining, it is cold. Um my goodness.
1: <laughs> What's the weather like there where you are? Uh, the weather is brilliant, yeah. You know, in, in South Africa, this is the time of the year where people have festivities and uh, go out a lot into the sun. The beaches are are quite full except for Durban. But generally, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's, it's it's lovely to be here. Being from Natal, uh,
0: being a Peter Mattersburg boy that I am, um, it is just Christmas time in South Africa was always a beautiful occasion.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: England, it is wonderful, but it is cold. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, Coach, let's get into it. Tell us, what is your role in football in South Africa? And as I said to you before we started, many times I would see... You on, on on the box, sitting on the bench, sitting next to the late great Ted Dimitri. Um, Your name has come up in so many different conversations. Tell us about yourself, Coach.
1: Where do I start? Uh, let me let me start by maybe giving you an idea how the coaching uh, all started. Um, in the late eighties, I sustained a cruciate ligament injury while playing, and it set me back to an extent where eventually I had to go for a major op, never been the same since. And then I decided to approach the club that I was with, Dynamo's, and offer my services as a youth coach because I saw there there was a need for youth coaching, you know. But to be quite frank, what I knew about coaching was dangerous at the time because we were not exposed at, 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 during our playing days to proper coaching. I mean, it was a case of running a lot and basically just playing 11 v 11. So now suddenly you find yourself in this space and you're looking for knowledge, you're looking for ideas. And along came uh, Ted uh, simply because my ambition was to go and study in Brazil. And when I approached the club, they found it was too expensive to send me to Brazil at the time. But they offered their advice and said, listen, there's a gentleman in Orlando Stadium and he's hosting coaching clinics said, who's this, Janice? I said, Ted Demetra, former Kaiser Chiefs coach, because he had just coached Kaiser Chiefs, came from uh, Swaziland, where Kaiser Matong found him, and brought him to South Africa. Prior to that, from uh, Romania, you know, in Romania, where he studied, he then went on to coach in America. Those days, they were sent there to coach, but they weren't able to earn their own monies. The monies had to go back to the state, and eventually, Ted just decided to go on his own you know, left the Soviet Union and went to America. And then subsequently, we found him here. Long story short, we then meet up with Ted Dimitro. And within that time, there was a number of coaches, including Kevin Johnson, uh, Sheikhs Mashaba, Trot Moloto. We all used to get together with Ted Dimitro on a Monday evening, and he would tutor us. And he gave us such inspiration because we didn't know what coaching was all about. So that's where it all started, I would say, from a coaching perspective. I was then very fortunate to be one of the selected few. Myself, James Mabena, Marbena, Michael Tombella, were all uh, legendary players in South Africa, and Zunaid Mal. We were then uh, offered the opportunity to study in Brazil. I got a bursary, and so did the other guys. We went to Brazil, and we thought we knew. In fact, <laughs> he told us, you guys are going to really shine. And we were very confident getting there, only to realize when we got there, we knew very little, to say the least. You know, Brazil is a country that has won five World Cups. At the time we went, in 92, they had only won three, but even then, it was a record. And uh, very similar to us. And that is, that is why I'm so emotional when I talk about football, when I see what they've produced in similar situations. And as they're a third world country, they have economical problems, they have crime, they have, but they still produce world-class players. And um, that was fantastic. It was God, I mean, God blessed us to send us to a country like Brazil we could have gone anywhere else i mean subsequently i went to europe i did some courses there as well and it's no 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 disrespect uh, whatsoever i think the courses are brilliant but it's not the same like it is in brazil in brazil you go to a university of football you go down and you learn the fundamentals of the game but you also understand how it applies to your specific uh, you know player in south africa and obviously it's different to south american players it's different to european players so you need to respect the individuality, the specificity of what type of training you need to employ, you know, with South African players. So coming back, we then uh, were involved with a project, Transnet, uh, just uh, decided to start development programs. And the reason they did it, as as you can recall, Transnet was a white peristatal in the old days of apartheid. And uh, people always viewed, Transnet is a company that was only for the white people of the country at the time. So yeah. they tried to change uh, that, that view. And they said, okay, let's 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 go and do some work in the townships, in and, and and in different areas. And they got Neil Tovey and the former singer together and they said, Look, you guys are going to go to those different areas, have some coaching for two or three days and move on. And when they approached us as a coaching or the coaches association, because we're part of Safas Coaches Association and uh, led by Ted. We said, no, it can't be done that way. You can't go to an area for two or three days, do some coaching, and then move away. There's no continuity. There's no sustainability. In fact, you're just going out there to give the kids a ball and a kick about it. Why don't you have a, se- a situation where you have a session that is permanently in the area? They weren't too happy at first because it was more commercial thing of going to different areas. But they eventually realized that they couldn't do it the other way where they were just going to go for a day or two so they decided fine let's see what you guys going to come up with we then decided to go to alex alexandra is one of the at that time i mean today it's one of the most quarters of of, of townships lots of crime lots of violence and we went in there myself kevin johnson sam bata uh junaid mall we went into this area and uh, obviously there was a lot of risk going to these areas because there was so much crime but You know, when you're a football person, and and I'm sure you can, you can attain to this is people respect you, people look after you. Even the so-called Totsies, the the clubs there, they look after you because you're coming to do good in the township. You're coming to give those kids some hope. And we started there and significantly that program became very successful. We then, uh, you know, linked up with Ted, who had a center in Orlando Stadium. And uh, we made a proposal to Transnet to start the School of Excellence. And at the School of Excellence, uh, Neil Tovey was the manager. I was the head of coaching. And then, obviously, we recruited kids from different uh, uh, programs. The, the one in Orlando Stadium, the one in Alex. And then, obviously, around the country, we had people recommending some kids to us. And a number of those kids became professional players. The likes of Dylan Shepard, the likes of Zita King, the likes of, uh, uh, I would say, Ojo John Mabizella. Uh, the list is endless uh, that that came through this uh, program, um, and 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 that was just the start of development as such. You know, Coaches you know, coach.
0: Like, I, well, you mind if I come in there? I, I just want to mention something to you, and I don't be I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I I want to say during during my playing career as a junior, I ended up um, playing for Natal, and we spent a weekend at the the School of Excellence uh, myself uh wendell robinson who's the sundowns goalkeeper coach and while we were there i met a, a young dylan shepherd and i remember i was telling this to coach kevin just the other day we had breakfast at him and he was telling us what the experience is like at the school of excellence and i remember myself being so envious of the experience and thinking wow i cannot believe in south africa this type of thing is happening You know, uh, I'd heard of it, but didn't know it was happening. This almost school for young footballers to become excellent in their trade. Yeah. Fantastic move.
1: No, it was brilliant. I mean, I remember when uh, Kevin uh, spoke to me about uh, uh, Stephen Pina, and he said to me, Coach, there's this youngster in the he He's brilliant. You know, they call him Skilachi. Now, why they gave him the name Schilacci? Because at that time, Italy had a player called Scilacci. who was phenomenal at scoring goals. And I said to him, okay, bring him along. Let's take him with him. And we took him with us because we used to leave from my home uh, to, to Esalen Park, where we were based. And we took this kid with the shorts on and with hunter boots. And he was so quiet in the car. He didn't say a word. But like seven, eight years down the line, he could speak two or three different languages. He was phenomenal. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't really explain to anybody what Stephen was about, if you try to summarize it, because there was so much in Stephen that needed to be explained. You know, he was just one of those talents, those rare talents that you find. But then he was also fortunate to play with very, very good players. Brent Carlson and and, and the rest of them were phenomenal players, you know. Uh, And we were just so blessed at that time that we had access to these talented youngsters that we could mold. As much as, you know, we sometimes want to uh, claim the great work we do, but it's it's a two-way road, you know. If you have good talent, you can produce great uh, players as such. And this is this is where we we put these two things together. To be quite frank with you, when we got back, we were still very very raw as coaches because we'd have a lot of theory, but less experience. And I always say to coaches these days that with all the qualifications in the world, you need to actually hone that trade. You need to get on the field. You need to. Be under that hot sun. You need to go through so many challenges to really gain that valuable experience. And even then, even now, as I sit here, I can't say to you I know everything. I know very little. I learn all the time. And I learn from what I do and I learn from the kids that I work with and I learn from the people around me. So football is so vast that, you know, if you ever think you know, that's the time you must hang up your, your, your whistle and say to yourself, let me just take out my pipe and chill in front of the team because there's always going to be so much to learn. The game evolves continuously. Now, coach, you've spoken
0: about really top players. You've spoken about a generation of fantastic footballers. You've spoken about um, Brent uh Steven Pinar, and I'm sure you could have a, a list of names. Why are we not making the impact on an international level then? Why do we keep failing? Why are we not making strides with Bafana, like we should
1: with all the talent you're speaking about it would it would be very naive to believe there's one reason there's several reasons and that all those reasons if you put them together and you look for a solution you'll find that it is not as easy as people think it is but the biggest problem we have is we changed what was working at the time we had a school of excellence which was the beginning but we didn't continue building that beginning. All the countries that have been successful over the years have had similar programs. If you look at Clairefontaine in France, this was the beginning of France being a superpower in world football. Prior to that, France was just participating. Uh, you know, they, they, they weren't you know, the, producing World Cup winners. They weren't producing. And, and, and since that has happened, I mean, they produced several World Cup teams that could go all out to win it. I mean, including the one that we just witnessed. But in saying that, there was a generation of players that went to that particular institute, similar to what we had at at, at Transnet. But for some reason, egos came in because we have what we call a situation where it's them and us. And it shouldn't be that way. I think all technicians, all football administrators must put their strengths together, must put their ideas together. We must have leadership that sees what the potential is. I mean, if you look at it simplistically, look at Morocco as a good example, because often we use Europe as an example, and it's it's just not fair at times because of the infrastructure, because of the amount of money they can pump into these programs. Let's look at Africa. And I think on the top of the list, South Africa is up there economically with, 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 with the best in Africa. We can compete with the best in as far as infrastructure, in as far as finance, in as far as sponsorship is concerned. I mean, we have the best PSL league on the continent, arguably the best league. But if we have that, why is it that we're not producing the players? It's because we're not looking at the important building blocks. The first building block is a kid goes to school. Or when he gets to school, and I think when you went to school, you had PE, physical education, at least twice a week. You had interprovincials. you played with your kids. Yeah, I mean, with the other kids, you you you, you had activity. I promise you today, if you go to any of these Model C schools, there's nothing happening. They got what they call life skills. So you could decide. If you were a naughty kid, you could decide to sit with your buddies, move to a little spot, have a smoke, do a, 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 a bit of this and a bit of that. But never was that the case when we went to school. Even your generation, when you guys well, went to school. When, you know, Coach, you touch on such a valuable point.
0: When when I was at school, um, we we had the... The coach. I don't know if you know a Mr. Trevor Bonds. He is the is the head of of a marketing at the Natal Sharks. He was he was our PE coach. We okay. played absolutely everything: hockey, rugby, cricket, football, netball, netball. We used to play netball and volleyball. We were so active, and when I look back at it, I think to myself the exposure to it just being active was wonderful
1: yeah yeah but you see he was he was very wise he, he didn't specialize in one particular sport so he gave you an idea or an, an opportunity to to experience these different sports but all of these sports definitely impacted on you guys uh, including wendell i mean as a goalkeeper playing netball for example tells me His his hand-eye coordination, catching the ball, throwing the ball, all of those things came into play, you know, with yourself possibly playing as an infield player. The other skills you learned, you carried it forward to your specific sport. So that was brilliant. And that's what I say to coaches now in the academy that are run Stars of Africa. I say to them, when it comes to six years old, because we have kids from six to 19-year-olds, I say, when it comes from six to 12, don't attempt to coach them uh, in a specific way or style or manner let them play let them enjoy playing let them play create a scenario in other words create a learning environment so if i if i look at coaching seven-year-olds i would play them on, on different goals i would have a lot of fun exercises like when we grew up we used to play a lot of fun exercises with each other, uh, you know, when it wasn't football, there was a game I remember called Kiribeka, where you roll the ball and people kick it and then you try to throw the ball and they would try to run up and down like they would in cricket and there was a lot of fun, but we were developing our kicking, we were developing our hand-eye coordination, we were developing the ability to anticipate where the ball is going to go and teamwork as well. So, these were the type of games that was the foundation of all the top sportsmen that emerged from it. because we must recall, and I think you posed the question that Why is it that we're not doing what we have done when we were re-admitted into world football? You look at those crops of players that came through, the the, the generation that came through, the likes of Lucas Kadevi, Neil Toby, and the rest of them. They came from different backgrounds. I would say Neil and them were more structured. They came from a background where white players had fields to play on. That's why they were aerially better than players that were playing in areas where there wasn't that space to play in. They were very good at, at, at set pieces because they had spaces to do that. Whereas kids from... And underprivileged backgrounds were playing in those 10 by 10 areas, but their skills were good. They could handle the ball in those tight areas, which their white counterparts didn't. So when you put all this into a, 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 a mix, you now found a balance. You had a Neil Toler who could defend well, who could deal with aerial balls, who could play out of the back. You had a Dr. Kumalo with the skills and a shoes Michelle. You had a, a Mark Williams who could score goals. Uh, and, and this balance was very, very beneficial to us. That has disappeared. Now kids don't play anymore. So the first step would be get schools, sports going. And I've said this to a number of politicians. I don't want to mention their names, but people are high up on the. I said, let us get the kids to start playing in schools. Let the kid go to school and know there's going to be a sports period twice three times a week where it's compulsory that you've got a place for we have this impacting on our medical uh, uh, expenses in the country where a lot of people are obese a lot of people are ill because there's been no sports from a young age so when you when you develop this inability at a young age you carry it through, through through the rest of your life you're not interested you you become a couch potato you know you become a fan but This is impacting on our sports. The other thing we're competing with is social media. The other thing we're competing with other sports, rugby and cricket is growing at a phenomenal rate. Football is falling behind, but we don't see this because football is supposedly our number one sport. But if you look at statistics, we're definitely not number one. I looked at, at, at our ranking. We're now 67th in the world. At one stage, we were 12th. So that has to speak to us and say, listen, guys, get your act together, you know? Start, start ensuring you get the right people around. I mean, you have a guy like Kevin Johnson who's been involved in development. You've got a guy like Junaid Mall who's been involved with development. You've got Semba, but we're not using these people. These people were instrumental in starting development. Kevin has gone as far as going into the content, winning uh, an African uh, uh, Champions League medal. You know, He's been involved with professional teams. I mean, he coached a team, a platinum, that had no resources, and he finished twice second against the bigger, bigger, bigger clubs with all the money, with everything. So it shows why are we not utilizing people with that knowledge, but more importantly, with the experience, because you can gain theoretical qualification, but to be able to gain experience, it takes years of sacrifice, of patience, of, of the ability to endure. And this is the people that we mustn't allow to, to, to lose out. If you look at international football, and I'm sure you watch a lot of youth tournaments, they're best coaches are the youth coaches so if you look at the national under 17 under 20 under 20 those are the best coaches when i say best i talk best in as far as experience and knowledge is concerned of course their top coaches that coach their, their national teams are also top top people that have played at highest level that have uh, uh, you know understood the game at that level and it's important to have those people at the top because they can interact with their the top professionals in a way where they see themselves as equals and i don't have a problem but i'm thinking down the line We need youth coaches that can mold the player. So when he gets to the national team, all those rough edges are taken care of. That's what we attempted to do with the youngsters in the School of Excellence and subsequently at Kaiser Chiefs, where I worked, at Santos, at Sundowns, where I worked, and now currently at Stars of Africa. The philosophy is the same. We haven't changed. We look at technical excellence, ensuring that the player is technically sound. Now, you've mentioned the word
0: philosophy and that was my next question i wanted to come on to tell me about your football philosophy you have touched on it but if you are part of a structure what is your philosophy you bringing to that organization that doesn't only develop a player but also nurtures a player
1: okay the first thing i would like to say on that question is the first thing you need to you need to envisage a game model that you want a, a style of play that you want to play. So obviously as South Africans, we like keeping the ball. We like you know, playing with the ball instead of playing more direct football. So that's the first thing. We're very similar to how you would say countries like Spain, like Brazil, because of our physical makeup, it wouldn't suit us to play a lot of long balls because we don't have players that have that physicality to be able to play that type of football. We'd also like to play a brand of very uh, quick, exciting, uh, aggressive uh, football, in the sense where we 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 play a, an attractive attacking game. Let's put it that way, an attractive attacking game of football. And to be able to do that, now you look at the philosophy. What is the philosophy that you can marry to that style of play? Philosophy is keep the ball on the ground, limit the touches, change the point of attack, and 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 and, and be more um, uh, free in and as expressing yourself. So if you have those conditions to coach, so you, you you don't have to go into too much detail, you look at encouraging players to play with the ball at their feet, so you keep the ball on the ground, you change the point of attack, you limit the touches, uh, and you and, and, and you ensure that that player grows with those uh, uh um, philosophies in mind. So it's a playing philosophy that you're trying to 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 to, to bring across to these youngsters. And if you limit it to that, they learn much better. But if you confuse them by saying to them that listen, Uh, You know, just kick the ball forward, look for the man up front, support the play. You're basically creating a very robotic play. You know, we obviously have other things attached to it. You have to have players that have good vision, that have good anticipation, that are able to constantly scan. But these are all technical things that you can teach as you move forward. But the fundamental thing is to encourage players to play with the ball. To, to ensure that if I come up against a player who's physically much bigger, the only way I'm going to beat him is with speed and skill. Because if I'm going to try and match him with, with, with brawn and with strength, he's going to overcome that and he's going to win the battle. So this is what we're doing. And this example is very similar to what Brazilians do because physically they're of the same stature. I mean, you, know, you very seldomly find a seven-foot or a six-foot-five Brazilian player. Most of them are similarly built to what we have. And a lot of the Brazilian players have a similar uh, mentality. Of wanting to play with the ball, skill factor, the ability to enjoy themselves with the ball. So that would be a concept that I say is very similar. And I'm saying this with the basis that if you look back at the generations that came before us, the likes of teenage Ladla, the likes of Joe Sola, the likes of uh, of, of Ace Ntuzuleni. I mean, the list is endless of players that showed that potential, that had the skills. Stephen Pina. I, mean, I can go on with those type of players. So. This is where we start when we talk, because sometimes it's so broad. You know, terminology in football can be so confusing at times because people talk of style of play, game model, philosophies, but it all says one thing. How do we identify ourselves as a nation? What is When I went to Brazil, I, I thought, let me go and see what's their football philosophy about. If you watch them play, they played at that time with a 4-4-2. Four, four, Similarly, the women, the kids, everybody played the similar style. Obviously, clubs would differ. you go to a team that prefer playing with a 3-4-3, three, But it doesn't matter. Those players were easily able to adapt because they played in so many different ways that when they went to Europe, the coaches didn't have a problem in bringing them into their their, their club mentality and, and philosophy. Physically, I mean, this is something people underestimate. The Brazilian players are the fittest players in the world. And it's because their physical program is so, so advanced. So when a player gets to Europe, he doesn't have to wait for three weeks or four weeks or a month. Immediately, he's able to fit into the demands of the game in Europe. And, and this is where I, I think as South Africans, we're lacking a bit. On the physical side, we're struggling. On the technical side, yes, we have certain skills, but they're not they're not uh, refined. So you could be talented, but talent alone is not going to produce a world-class player. You need to refine the skills. And this is where development comes in. So, Coach,
0: yeah, you've mentioned some pathways to success there. And th- th- for, for myself as a fan, because I'm a fan now, I, I, I love football, I love my country. I'm desperate for my country to do what Morocco did during the World Cup and, and really announce themselves on the great stage. Why is it not happening? With all these talents you speak of, with all these great plays, how are we not creating a Morocco-type situation? The infrastructure's there, the money's there. The best league in Africa is there why are we consistent failures
1: well i think you you just you just said it uh, very clearly we're consistent failures because we choose to fail, um and, and 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 i've seen this picture re-emerging every time there's a major competition every time there's a major competition we do an introspection and we ask ourselves why is it that we're not there because we have that feeling of we're being neglected we're being left out and Again, when this movie is over and we replay, you'll find the same mistakes we're making. We're doing what we've been doing since we we started falling behind, which was after the success we had early on when we were readmitted into world football. But we're still doing exactly the same thing that has caused us to fail continuously. The first thing we do, let's, let's look at our national team setup. When we select our national under-17 team, it is not truly representative of South African players. And I say this with due respect, that when coaches get the teams, they are announced at the last minute. So you as a coach, Courtney, you are told, Courtney, well, you've got a team, get a team together. So the first thing you do out of desperation, you call all the PSL clubs that you know. And you say to them, send me your best. Because you in your mind believe they have the best players. And subsequently, you put together a team that is not bad, but it's not really a team that can go out and excel at the highest level. That's the first challenge you as a, as a national team coach have. Then the second thing is you could have a talented player somewhere, but because there's no scouting setup in your in your structure, you never know who those players are. And I can tell you this, I can qualify this because I had players. I had a player called May Mashlangu, and I'm talking lately now, that obviously as Stars of Africa, not being an academy like your bigger clubs, they don't have the same exposure. He fell through the cracks. He only made it straight to Bafana. and he was a sensation at Bafana. So you've got to ask, what's the reason? And I had a player called Masha Mashamaiti, straight to Bafano. Uh, Siboshizu Kumalo made it because he went at a young age to Swallows, Morocco Swallows, and he was selected for around the 20. Okay, there's another player, Emmetis uh, Ralani. he's now just back in the country. We sent him to Sweden when he was about 18 or 19. He played there for a number of years. Nobody knew he existed. At the age of 30 odd years, he came back to Saudi Arabia, signed by Cape Town City, sensation. Guess who signs him? Mamalodi Sundance, at 30-odd years old. So the question is, if this guy is so good at 30-odd, how did he fall through the cracks? So there's a flaw in our talent identification. If we don't get that right, we're never going to get our national teams at the level they should. There's several players playing in Europe now, in England, in, 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 in Sweden, all of, We neglect those players, and the South African players. All over the world, we see now with, with a country like France, all the best players don't necessarily come from France. But because they have France ancestry and people, families that go there and shift there and and become uh, citizens, they now adopt these players. Why is it that we aren't able to adopt players that are born or parents who are born in South Africa to ensure that we get the best? Because they are in good clubs. They're in top clubs in Europe. Okay, So the, the, the scouting thing is lopsided. The second thing is Courtney is selected because he knows somebody or somebody knows him or somebody knows somebody who knows him. So he doesn't go through a process of being uh, interviewed and being the best man for the job. So we're not necessarily, and all due respect to the current guys that are working there, I'm not trying to attack anybody. They are not necessarily your most experienced and most qualified and most uh, coaches who have had the most achievements at different levels. Whether it be at, at, at youth level, winning uh, uh, tournaments or winning leagues, or even producing players, we're not we're neglecting those. Most of the guys that get to those levels don't have a track record. And that happens throughout. So ultimately now you've got a guy who's very keen, but he hasn't got the necessary uh, knowledge. And even his backroom staff are not there to support him. I understand if you're trying to promote a specific person, if you're trying to promote a an icon in the game, a guy who's, re- let's say Ronaldo from uh, Portugal is now selected to coach a youth team they will ensure that he has a very capable backroom style. So he's going to have his dictionary next to him. Like we see all the top coaches. You saw Francis coach, he had a dictionary next to him, which he consults with. You saw Brazil. All these guys have very, very astute, including Pep Guardiola. is an astute dictionary next to him. And the dictionary gives him information and knowledge that he may not have. So this is the other floor we have, because we give them a skeleton style. I remember years ago when I was at Kaiser Chiefs, uh, my my partner who's was, was based in Portugal but originally from Brazil gave me a call one evening and said to me coach, can you accommodate the national under-19 Brazil team? I said, Brazil team? What are they doing here? They're on their way to a, a tournament, an under-19, under-20 tournament in Nigeria Can you accommodate them because they need friendlies and I've already ar- arranged for them accommodation because they were supposed to be hosted by SAFA but they didn't rock up so I'm doing it I got them a bus. I got them a hotel, and now I need a field, and I need a game. I said, "Wow, that's an opportunity. You're welcome." I was at Chiefs. We had fantastic fields at the uh, University of uh, Johannesburg. Now it was formerly Rao, Rand Afrikaans University, and I said, "Come along!" And they came along. You know what was the surprising part? They had seventeen technical ma- members in an under nineteen team. Wow! So they had your doctor, almost as your person, much as the players. <laughs> players. You know, so it showed, and, and in that team, I must, one day send you a picture, was Ronaldinho. So it was, a, it was such a historic event for me to play against. I didn't know who he was gonna be, that player, but already then we could see the potential of this phenomenal player, and we played against them. I mean, I had a phenomenal team at, 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 at that time. I had Cantla-Kubeka, uh, Isaac Mabotza, both went to, as a Chiefs first team. I had uh, Rufus Makoti, uh, Tsefo Mashishi, all went to the, to the first team, including Lucky Phillips, the keeper, in midfielder, Jabu Pule, uh, Moffat Mafuka, the late Moffat, brilliant player, uh, Gerald Sibeko, and Sizu Emlingo. So I had a team of high-quality youngsters that I was developing. That was the, the players that kept me uh, employed at Chiefs because if I, if they didn't get promoted, I would have been fired within a year or two. But because they did so well, Nine out of them made the first team and played as regulars under at to ground. Went on to win everything. That time we had the Operation Pat Alice thing where they won everything. You know, the only thing that missed out for Machine was the league. And that's why I eventually ended up working with him because of this crop of... And this team then played against Brazil. Very low-key. People in the public didn't know about it. Last-minute thing got them together. But the experience, playing against this... And many of those players went on to represent Brazil at national team level. So, you know, when we say to ourselves... Is it possible? Of course. If Brazil can do it, with their infrastructure, with their problems that they have, like, why can't South Africa do it? So that is the two factors I think need to be looked at, scouting and coaching. Once we have those two things into place, at least our national teams will start making progress. I'm not saying win uh, World Cups or you know Cups at national teams, but at least finish in the later rounds. Every time our teams go to these tournaments, we get knocked out in the first round. We've hardly ever gone past the first round. we did once in the in the CAF championship with uh, with uh sheiks mashaba when he had the likes of uh stanton fredericks benny mccarthy they went in i think it was in algeria or one of the arab countries they won the tournament there and we went on to qualify for the world cup and did fairly well you know and then obviously winning the uh, not winning but beating brazilian olympics with the same crop of players which was actually very encouraging you know But since then, nothing has happened. And it's simply because of these two key factors. Proper scouting, proper coaching. Then you've got to go further down now because you've achieved that already. Now you've got to go backwards again and say, let's get schools. football, Let's get our leagues. Our LFA's must be strength for strength. Today, if you look at Stars of Africa, when we enter a team in LFA, we play in a team of 16 teams and there's only three teams that can compete with us because the other teams, we give them 12 and 14 and 15. So it doesn't benefit my youth teams to play against weak opposition. I'd like to play against strong opposition and we've got to create that leagues. We've got to have those elite leagues where the best play against the best so that the best can emerge. I mean, we don't have to go too far. Look at America. They produce such a phenomenal crop of players. We see them in the World Cup now. I can tell you the next World Cup, they're going to be even better.